Hello everyone and welcome to When Life Gives You Lemons, our wee podcast about tackling and coping with some of life's challenges, hosted by me, Jenny McIntyre, and founder of Let's, Michael Byrne. Hi everybody and welcome to episode four of When Life Gives You Lemons. As always, I'm joined by Michael Byrne and today we have a guest um, joining us, Vivian McKinnon. How are you both? Great. Thank you, Jenny. How are you, Michael? How are you, Jenny? Yes, yes, I'm all good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to see that the rain stopped for a second, to be honest. <laughs> uh, okay, was it, it was, it, it was the same here. That would say in a four seasons in one day, and uh, it's just been a, a strange uh, couple of days. But in our household just now, my, my son's about, he turns four on Sunday. And, uh, you know, young kids can't really understand that it's five sleeps, six sleeps, or one week away. So every morning he wakes up and says, is it today, Daddy? <laughs> uh, so I have to kind of let him down and say, no, no, not today. Uh, so uh, each day in my household is a countdown to Sunday for his birthday. And <laughs> most of it in a long So, Vivian, you are the founder of HydroEase, yeah? That's um, right, yeah. Do you want to just kind of tell us a wee bit about yourself and what HydroEase does? Aye, sure. So um, my name's Vivian McKinnon, originally from Edinburgh, but been in Belfast for the last 10 years. Well, I'm just actually outside Belfast. Um, so I have a background where my, <clears throat> when I was born, my mum was struggling with addiction and I ended up being the adult of, I was the adult child of a substance misuse parent. So I kind of struggled as I was growing up and even in my early adulthood, which then resulted, um, I'll not go into that too much now unless he's asked me questions about it, obviously. Um, and I kind of struggled a bit, I struggled with addiction, I struggled with mental health. I kind of carried on that generational um, inherited bag of trauma. And um, and then in 2004, I went into a float tank and it just completely blew my mind. And I was always kind of going, what happened in there? Because the girl who had the float centre couldn't tell me. And so I then, it, something totally changed. And like I had a negative internal critic who was always telling me how rubbish I was, how unlovable I was, how I was the worst thing ever. Um, and she was silenced in there. And I had no pain anywhere in my body. And it just... As I say, I came out and I was just the woman as the owned the centre. I was sent to her. Do you know what happened in there? That was absolutely amazing. And she said, "Oh, it's a, it's a lovely spa treatment." And I was like, "What? That's my spa treatment. That's a mental health intervention." And at that time, I was working for a charity in Scotland called Move On, which is um, they work with um, homelessness and they do the crisis fair share, the food banks and stuff. But um, I had been working on a mentoring project there. And after that, I was kind of like, right, I need to find out what's, um, you know, what's the underpinning models and values of our health and social care system. And I dropped out of school when I was 15. So I was like, again, the internal critic was gone. How are you going to go back to education? How are you going to find out that? You're, you know, you're, 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 you're thickest champ. You're not going to be able to do that. So I went to college, went to university, studied loads of different things, NLP, hypnosis, havening, um, auricular acupuncture, uh, spectrum coaching, loads of different things. And in 2015, I moved out of the charity and voluntary sector and um, opened Hydroes. So there's a, a wee whistle-stop tour of <laughs> how I managed to get to where I am. So Hydroes is the only flotation centre in the whole of Northern Ireland. Um, at one point, we were the only flotation centre in Ireland. 
and then a guy opened down south after we had been open for about 10 months and now I think there's about four four float centres um, in the Republic of Ireland and we are still the only one up here in the north. Wow um, so what exactly is it then because I mean I, I've kind of heard of it but what what does it exactly entail? Oh it's amazing so we we spend approximately 80% of our energy um, fighting the effects of gravity. So by that, I mean like movement, balance, um, you know, just getting ourselves about on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. And then we also, every second of every day, through our five senses, well, through our six senses, because I believe intuition is a sense as well. So through our six senses, we take in, we're met by, anything up to they reckon billions of pieces of information but you know the the fastest processor in the world couldn't process that amount of information and our brain is the fastest processor in the world so what we do is we look at previous experience and we compare and contrast the and the information that's coming in now with information that's been there that's that, that we've previously had so when you go into a float tank that all of that information is completely restricted so we usually are deleting information that doesn't support that that we don't recognize we distort information that doesn't fit our view of the world and we generalize information to fit what we believe so when you first get into a float tank you step into 25 centimeters of body temperature water and half a ton of Epsom salt. So when you lie back, you're supported and held by this solid, which looks like a liquid and feels like a liquid. Mm-hmm. And your unconscious mind's going, what? How the hell? How am Eh? How can I float? <laughs> on t- what? what? Um, so, and at that point, the um, visual cortex, which is a big, massive, like um, operation at the back of the brain, which which is constantly filtering for colours, for shades, for people's faces, for facial expressions, for you know, because we're constantly filtering all this information to ensure that we're safe, to ensure that we don't need to set off the fight or flight system. So, when you get into the float tank, your unconscious mind's going, <laughs> "Hang on a minute, uh, Dan, I need balance, like." Mm-hmm. Am I standing up? Am I lying down? Am I like am I sitting on my bum? Am I like what, what, hang on? What the hell's going on? So at that point, all of that energy that you would spend processing that information and fighting the impact of gravity, the balance and movement, that suddenly then turns inwards, and the body and the mind gets a chance to go right. Now we don't have to worry about all of that stuff out there. Mm-hmm. Let's turn inwards. So it's it's what that does is it activates the blood flow because all that energy is going inside now, which then active so it activates the blood flow, which stimulates the lymphatic and the digestive system. So basically, what that means is it starts a full detox and starts to restrict the production of lactic acid and break down any lactic acid that's already there in the system. So what's happening is the body's starting to have a real detox. The body's starting to kind of go right. Hang on a minute. Remember that? Remember that old sports injury you had in your shoulder? Right, that's not repaired properly and we still get pain there. So let's go and put our energy towards that. Or it can say, God, remember that time you broke your leg and you still get that wee twinge? Let's go and repair that in there. But what I'd done for me was, as well as doing that with the pain element of it, because I'd had so much trauma at, at, at such a young age, um, I carried a lot of it in my body. And I firmly believe post-traumatic stress disorder is the storing of trauma in the central nervous system, which is the brain and the spinal cord. 
storing of trauma in the body is what I think is now commonly known as fibromyalgia. So I was carrying a lot of this residual pain in my body from various different experiences that I'd had. And I was also having flashbacks. I was living with anxiety. I was living with um, panic. I was smoking cannabis every day. I was taking cocaine. I was drinking, God only knows, too far too much Jack Daniels. I was gambling. I was being really promiscuous. I was, I was doing anything I could to avoid the pain of the past. Mm-hmm. And then I was suddenly put into that environment where my thoughts were kind of, there was nothing to kind of stimulate them. So for me, on a, on, a, um, on a neurological level, I was able to kind of go, right, hang on a minute, what's this shit? Oh, sorry, is it all right to swear? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. So, so and, on a neurological level, I was kind of going, right, what's this shit about? Like, what's, what, like what, is, what really is this about? And I was able to um, sort of see myself in a way that I had never seen myself before. So I was able to kind of go, oh my God, in my head I was thinking, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. This is brilliant. Imagine if, like, I think I've found the antidote to modern life. I think I've found, like, my mind has went quiet, my body, I feel like I'm just a brain. I'm just a brain floating in this water. And do you know what? What if I could bring this to other people? What if I could open a centre that people could come to heal, that people whose lives have been impacted by the childhood experiences that they've carried with them for the rest of their life? And what if and what if and what and they're the two most powerful words you can put together is what and if Mm -hmm. because it just takes your mind into a completely different place so for me flotation was about life changing for me flotation was about being set free for me I kind of came at that tank and I was going do you care what I'm not going to medicate myself anymore I'm not going to move away for this pain I'm going to identify what this pain is and I'm going to rip it out by the roots um, so I started really going on this quest of this internal journey of who am I? See, without all that, without all that stuff, without all my mum's pain, all my mum's trauma, mm-hmm. without all my grand's trauma that my mum carried that she that she gave to me. And that's the thing: some people in life they'll offer us stuff that that we think is love and connection and compassion. And, and honesty and all these things and we, 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 we accept these gifts and they're wrapped in silk to start with and they've got beautiful bows on them. We unwrap them when we've already accepted them and we've already integrated them into who we are and we unwrap them we realise that they're actually broken glass and and poison. and But by that time, it's too late because we've accepted mm-hmm. them. And people don't give us them thinking that, you know, that they're handing us fear and pain and guilt and hurt and shame and all that kind of stuff. They're giving us it because it's the way they've been programmed and they think that's how you love somebody or they think that's how you go about doing that. So for me, like, flotation, I mean, you've asked me about flotation. Jesus Christ, we're going to be here a long time. <laughs> but I think the biggest thing, the, the biggest thing for me with, 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 um, with flotation is it made me realise that, you know, if I'm going to keep going through my life trying to fit in, then I'm never going to find the place that's for me. Mm-hmm. Sounds brilliant. I mean, obviously, like, like I say, I hadn't really like understood what it entailed but it seems to have so many different benefits like physically oh. mentally um mm-hmm. is it something you've ever tried michael no i first of all that's a um it just sounds incredible and it's actually quite relaxing to mm-hmm. hear even just the thought yeah. of uh the float tank um 
when you first said it, I kind of scribbled down on my notepad here, what is this? And then you explained it brilliantly. So re- thanks for doing that. Uh, uh-huh, good. I've, I've never used it before and uh, I'm not really one for baths and all of that sort of stuff. Never really mm-hmm. enjoyed all of that sort of stuff. Didn't really like swimming. But been, like I said, I've been through a whole load of trauma and stuff like that mm-hmm. as well. So I can absolutely um, see the benefits of it, um, particularly the way you've explained it, um, you know, but the different parts of the brain and that weightlessness and actually just wiping your brain clean mm-hmm. to just concentrate on yourself. That's that it. That you're in there is an incredibly powerful thing to be able to do, you know. That's it. And I think, you know, it's there's a huge benefit in terms of sports injury. I mean, we I've just started a consultation model here in HydroEase because what I found is that when I start talking about floating, I can go in. You tell me a reason why you think you should float. You tell me a reason why you would like to change your life. You tell me a reason why you would like to heal. And I can tell you in, in detail why flotation would help you do that. Mm-hmm. So we've started a consultation model here. So I always start off with, you know, like, tell me tell me about your life. Tell me about where, where you're at. And there's, you know, we have people that come in and they're like, do you know, I'm the CEO of a, a big company. I have 45 staff underneath me. I've got budgets and targets to meet. I have this, I have that. I fly three or four times a month. I, and I can go straight in with, well, do you know what? There's research at the Laurier Institute of Brain Research in Oklahoma that states that when you float, what happens is, and they've, they've looked at this through fMRIs and EEG scans, and what it does is it starts to work on what's called the salient mode network of the brain. In layman's terms, what that means is it's like your limbic system. It's where all your emotions and stuff are held. Mm-hmm. More importantly, it's the part of the brain that houses the fight or flight, so the amygdala. And what it does is it starts to decrease activity within that part. And what it does is it increases activity within the right constructs of the brain, so more kind of creative thinking, more kind of um, being able to sort of visualise and clearly see things. So, um, and then we'll have other folk that will come in through the Victims and Survivors Service. We have a huge legacy here in Northern Ireland um, with the Troubles, obviously, and there's a lot of people who live with panic or nightmares or PTSD or so there's a there's a government um, organisation called Victims and Survivors Service and we get funding from them um, for people to come in so we have some people that come in and the minute they come in they're up to high dough and they're just like and, and, and this and that and blah, blah blah and is it going to be dark and is it going to be silent is it going to be this and the thing is like flotation has its background kind of is, is called sensory deprivation and nothing could be further from the truth because when you take away all that external information and all that um, the, the, the environmental stimulation from external to you and mm-hmm. turn that inwards, it, it's, 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 it's no uh, um, any kind of deprivation, it's an enhancement. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. But then some people are scared of the dark, some people are scared of <clears throat> the silence, some people didn't really like small spaces. So we had cabins specially made that are seven feet in height and they're six feet by eight feet. And they are, we've got um, RGB lighting in them. So it means that you can have the lights on, you can have it where it, where it transcends through different colours, you can have it anything from 25% right up to 100%. If you don't like silence, you can bring your iPad or your iPod or your phone or you can listen to our iPad and you can listen to music or listen to whatever. And the thing is, during the float, you go into what's called theta state. 
So it's your natural learning and consolidation state. So the, the Navy SEALs use flotation because it normally takes about six months to learn a new language. In flotation, you can do it in six weeks. So it really cuts down that time as well. So mm-hmm. there's a real creative kind of approach to it or there's a real pain management approach to it or there's a relaxation approach to it so there's there's so many different um ways and as i say it's just it's a perfect antidote to modern life we're not supposed to live with the, the way we live like technology and convenience is going to be the death of us all <laughs> absolutely i think in the world especially just now where it's so so hard to disconnect for even the shortest so- amount of time it's it's near impossible and Michael and I have spoke about it before about especially just now trying kind of disengage from things like social media and stuff when you can and don't be re- reading into too many things and w- watch the news once a day if you need to and the flotation seems like a real kind of sense of let's check out for a wee while um, Aye. that's it and it's just like being unplugged do you know, it's just like going in, going in for an hour, getting totally unplugged. I mean, it was funny. There's, we just recently, but there was a guy came in one time and he says, "I feel like you've just washed my brain. It's amazing." Mm-hmm. Um, there was another girl that came in and she says, "Oh my god, it just reminded me of being in the room." Now we had no, we, we mentioned that sometimes, but um, do you know? But that's the closest thing that it's to because between zero and seven. Um, as I say that, like I'm a I'm a cognitive behavioural therapist. I'm a clinical hypnotherapist. I'm a, a clinical hypnos, hyp, hypnotist. I'm a havening practitioner. I'm a spectrum performance and emotional coach. I'm an auricular acupuncturist. I'm a laughter yoga instructor. I'm like you name it. I think the only thing I've not done is surrogate mother. Um, <laughs> and even then, I'm sure there's a few folk out there that are like, but you were my mum. Um, <laughs> so there's there's loads of different um, approaches that we that 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 we also use here um I, I do a program called raft um and it's getting people to understand that they're no who they think they are do you know their story lives inside them they are not their story but all too often we end up living out our story and you know in terms of you know modern life like there's there's just so much that just piles into that there's so many things and especially for young people because they've got you know there's so many things in their phones and so many and stuff that, that I just think back to my day and I'm like, God, I, I, thought, I thought it was bad enough back then, but do you know, mm-hmm. I'd hate to be growing up now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I say that. So I'm nearly 51 and I had my, my boy's almost four and, you know, my life growing up it is nothing like his will be. So I understand mm-hmm. it's difficult for me to communicate to him, you know, going forward and saying, you know, it's, it wasn't like that in my day sort of thing would be the easiest thing. But... I'm a bit like you. I, I kind of fear of what you know the future holds for kids going forward nowadays. When you just see the technological advances in the last ten or fifteen years, to mm-hmm. you know the effect of bullying within, um, you know, bullying used to just happen in schools when I was younger and stuff like that. Now it's you get cyber bullying, you get it on your phone, oh, yeah. you get it through all the social medias, and you know, as, as Jenny just said, that we spoke about it. It's easy for us to say, like, I'm only going to turn my phone on or go on to. LinkedIn or whatever once a day and check my social media but with kids it's pretty much 24-7 and that's a real mm-hmm. intent to say that leads to potential burnout and, and you know desensitization from the outer world as well. That's it absolutely and, and and the thing is there's just such a pressure and like 
I think, you know, for me, a lot of my life was, um, a lot of what I carried was shame, you know, and, and shame is, it's it's tough to talk about and it's it's tough to even understand. And a lot of that comes through things like bullying or having a parent. I mean, I, as I say, I had a parent who was struggling with addiction. And when I was, you know, when I was in the house, my dad was saying, now you can't tell anybody what about... Um, about about your mum's drinking because you know the social work will be involved and you know you just just you keep your head down and just you do your best and um but don't tell anybody but and then on the other side of the door I was being told now don't you keep secrets and you go out there and be honest with people and so I grew up with this real kind of conflict and and because I grew grew up in a small village and my mum was a local drunk and everybody knew my mum was a drinker and like we would pick her up for the middle of the street at like eight o'clock at night and stuff like that but it was still that sense of shame, that sense of guilt, that sense of fear. And then, you know, like I wore big, thick national health glasses at the school. I don't know, um, Michael, you'll probably remember years ago the, when you had the glasses that were the girls got the pink ones and the boys got yeah, the blue boys ones. So I used to get slagged a lot for wearing glasses. I got slagged a lot because, you know, my mum would cut my hair and it was just a disaster. And, and the thing is, you know, and the difference between guilt and shame is guilt is... I have done something bad. Shame is I am a bad person. And people who have guilt will share it with you and that becomes your shame. So somebody who knows, who feels like they're a bad person in their head, they'll say, well, I'm a bad person. Bad people do bad things. So they'll do bad things. And then that other person that they've done the bad thing to then goes, oh my God, I must be a bad person. Because between zero, as I was saying, between zero and seven, we... We don't have the brain development to be able to challenge some of these things. So what happens is we then go through our life and we we run these programs of, of belief. And then you've got this phone in your in your pocket constantly. And as you said, you know, it used to be that if you got bullied at school, you could run into the house, you could shut the door and the bully was on the other side of the door. Yeah. But our kids are now taking the bully home in their pocket. Mm-hmm. Our kids are now taking the bully home into their bedroom that's on the computer. It's in their Xbox. It's, 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 it's wherever. Um and it is, and I think it's. I think one of the one of the things that we're really failing in our education system in the UK is that we don't teach our kids enough about resilience, about mental strength, about being able to take time out and just focus on their breath. About you know, like as I say, I do a thing called the havening technique. Do you know, it removes the emotional component from the memories where they're harvested. But if you do it as a daily practice, it means that you've got that ability to self-soothe every single day. Um, and once you teach somebody to be able to self-soothe, then they don't need to go to a therapist. And, you know, in the States, if you've not got a therapist, people go, oh, God, you must be mental. <laughs> but over here, if you've got a therapist, people go, oh, my God, you must be mental. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting you said there, as a, and, you know, uh, we can have a chat sometime. Uh, I think we have very similar childhood experiences uh, and how they... Uh, implant into your brain and when you said there about uh, a couple of minutes ago about the things that you did in your childhood uh, or and as an adolescent to overcome that pain are pretty much similar um, to what I did because I wanted to feel anything other than what I felt at that time and That's I it. didn't really feel the shame I always had the fear of judgment and the fear because just mm. like you were saying there that when I was abused as a child and it was very much like I can't tell anything because as bad as the abuse is if I tell someone, it's going to get worse because my parents mm-hmm. are, I'll be taken from my parents. So you have that real conflict of, I hate the situation I'm in, I want to tell someone I'm being abused, but actually if I tell someone, it's going to be worse for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was almost like a learned experience that I got and um, learned from a very early age. My parents would ridicule me and 
And I come from a place in the Gor- in Glasgow called the Gorbals, and yeah. at a very early age, I was always told I'm only happy when I was at school. And I can't always make a joke when I'm doing my talk saying, you know, in the Gorbals, you know, back then, nobody was ever happy when they went to school. So if your parents yeah. tell you you're only happy when you go to school. But what I didn't realise was I was safer at school than I was at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, that grew into the absolute fear of judgment and fear mm-hmm. of opening up and telling anyone because I believed that they would see me just as you said there in a particular way or that this person that I was building up to try and be as a facade, that as soon as I told someone what had really happened to me, that would all go away and I would be judged and so on. And I lived with that for, you know, 40 odd years until ultimately had uh, my mental health breakdown. But as Janie's heard me say, that's the best thing that ever happened to me because it was almost Mm -hmm. like a shedding of everything then, you know, all of those years of keeping it in and never talking to anyone and going through other traumatic events but using the same coping mechanisms, which I believe work, but obviously you can only get a pint of milk and a pint of milk. So. And, and that and that's the thing. And what we tend to do is, so for me, I believe that we, we create shadows, we create versions of ourselves that we think other people will accept us by yeah. because mm-hmm. shame is so tough to talk about or even understand, but the silence, the trauma and the corrosive beliefs that that gives us. And I, and, and, and I was saying this on the... Um, at the, the talk that I was given that Jenny had heard me um, was the, 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 the silence that you, you know, that you, that you stay in because you think it's the safest place to be. Mm-hmm. And you think, and I mean, I remember I went to go for counselling in my, God, in my 30s, I think. And, um, and I started talking to the woman and telling her some of the stuff and I could see her whole demeanour completely changed. You know, you could see she was going, oh my God, I'm totally at my depth here with this woman. So again, I went back into that silence of trauma and stayed there mm-hmm. and just thought, oh God, I'm such a freak. Nobody's going to, like, there's no point in telling or, or everybody's been through the same similar stuff. So there's, there's, there's really no point because nobody, um, it, it really doesn't matter. And it's that whole vulnerability and, and no wanting to place ourselves. And the difference, I mean, now I embrace vulnerability, but now the vulnerability that I put myself in is voluntary. And there's a big difference between voluntary vulnerability and mm-hmm. involuntary vulnerability. And now, like, I do all the public speaking and stuff and, you know, put myself up there. And, and you know, and I'll talk about that. I'll say, do you know, who do you think is the most vulnerable person in this room right now? And then I'll make sure I know where the next speaker is. And I'll say, do you know, you might think it's me, but it's no. It's the person that's getting up next because they're the person that's sitting panicking about the judgment, panicking about how are they going to start, how they're going to be perceived, how are they going to be. And that's the thing. It's the fear of judgment. It's not the fear of public speaking. It's the fear no. of judgment mm-hmm. because the it's last thing. I think, um, you know, that over those 44 years of never been able to speak about it and my business is built on professionally speaking about my journey, my mm-hmm. trauma, my mental health breakdown and how, you know, I try and help businesses overcome or challenge the mental health culture within the workplace. And totally. for me, in the early days, were, were, were they were, but in my 20s, my father was murdered. And then in my 40s, I was in the Clutter disaster, which was when the helicopter killed 10 people in Glasgow. And, mm-hmm. you know, all of those things, you know, just don't prepare you for, you know, life afterwards. And yeah. I could never speak about them. And by the time the Clutter happened to me, I'd built up such a facade of what, I wanted people to believe because, you know, my mental illness wasn't real and all mm-hmm. those sort of things, but it was real. And then the clutter happened and, you know, everything just crumbles after that. So mm-hmm. you're right, I absolutely embrace um, the um, public speaking because for me it's went from never being able to speak about it, probably like yourself, to now 
doing it and it's been incredibly cathartic and making a career out of it because the lesson you're trying to say to people is that look you can speak about it you can speak about it and if I can do it standing up stage you know particularly as a man and no disrespect to ladies um, no that's it abilities the breakdown how I felt then hopefully that will help some other men put their hand up and say do you know what I maybe need a wee chat and I can talk about my mental health and and some mm-hmm. may maybe reduce some suicide stats uh, within men you know that's it that's it and as I was saying you know it's these it's these shadows these versions of ourselves that we create to 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 the facade that we show other people but the dangerous thing about that is we tend to then be drawn towards other people who are hiding and you know creating shadows so so for me for example I um, always came across as this fun-loving party animal who would be really nurturing and you know was always had everybody's back and was really was out there and confident when really I wasn't I was it was I was medicated on like I was either you know I'd been smoking ash or drinking or doing whatever Mm -hmm. and then but really inside me was this vulnerable scared child who was just looking for somebody to look after her so I would be attracted to men who were quite bullish who were quite um you know, other people would maybe fear them, that they would maybe be like, you know, sort of football casuals or they would be sort of gangstery kind of types. And But they would come across as like, I'm going to look after you. Mm-hmm. I am going to look after you. Like, you're go- I'm going to take you under my wing. And, you know, and, and, and it was that meeting of that it was like, oh, so that inside me, the vulnerable wee girl inside me was gone, this is it, I'm going to get looked after. But the vulnerable, scared wee boy inside that guy was kind of going right this is somebody that I can have for me this is somebody that I can look after and blah blah but then what would happen is I would get wasted and be like oh no I I can't commit because I had huge commitment issues but that wee boy in the end would be like hang on where are you going you're not going anywhere Mm -hmm. like you said you would stick by me you said you would let me look after you you said you would so what happens is the both shadows lift and you've got this vulnerable scared wee girl with this playground bully and it just goes right back to childhood again. And it's not until you understand that, because the amount of people I've done a, a bit of work, like I ended up in quite a um, domestic violence relationship and I was, it was a big court case and stuff. But um, what then happened was it was, I, I then went for that relationship into another relationship exactly the same because I never realised the pattern. Mm-hmm. I never realised, you know, I just went into another relationship with somebody who was even bigger and more bullish than him. So as then he would disappear into the background because I had this new bully figure that was my pal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like, mm-hmm. But when you look back on that, and I look back on that now and I think, God, that was just that pattern, just playing itself over mm-hmm. and over again. And all I wanted was somebody to just love me and look after me. When what I never realised was that person was me and it had been me all along, but I had just never actually gave myself the time to allow myself to believe I could be trusted with that role. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly powerful when you look back and join all the dots, isn't it? Oh, totally, totally. That's exactly what I was able to do. I was able to look back at all the dots as to why is a three-year-old, you know, why is a 40-year-old man, I felt this fear, but it was a three-year-old me that was in fear of, you know, my mother, my mother and father assaulting me and mm-hmm. all these other things. And every relationship I went into, I... Uh, I, I wasted the relationship um, deliberately mm-hmm. because I believed, didn't know at the time, but I believed that if my parents could treat me in such a way when they were meant to love me, maybe else could love me. And that was all these things were normal. And I would just mm-hmm. sabotage every relationship that I went into. And to the amazement of all friends and family, and they would just not get it. But that's it. Up when you actually can, when you have clarity, it's so powerful, you know. 
And I think that and now when you when you look back on it and in hindsight, it almost all seems so obvious. But when you're when you're That's right it. there in the middle of it, it's something that you just cannot see. Absolutely, it's woods and trees. That's that's it, and it's you know we tend to hand over our self worth to to what other people think. Do you know it's a way of external evaluation rather as having that ability to internally evaluate, to think and to feel from the skin in, to to allow us to reconnect and to discover, to I suppose to discover who we really are underneath all that. Because the thing is, the ultimately inside us all is just this wee jo- this wee bundle of joy and fun. Because mm-hmm. as a kid. That's all we want to do is laugh and just be just be connected. And but but we get told, you know, like stop doing that. Get down for there. I'll scalp your ears. Leave mm-hmm. your sister alone. Get this. And what happens is you then maybe get a scud across the bum because mm-hmm. for doing whatever. And you go from being happy and joy to being like it's not my fault. That's what, and then you start judging. You're like that's their fault. So you get this layer of hurt. And then something else happens and you're happy and joy and then you get blamed and you, and it's totally, it's not my fault, it's not my fault. And then you get a layer of sadness and then layers of fear come in and then shame and then mere guilt and then mere hurt and then mere pain. And ultimately underneath all of that is still just this joyous wee kid that wants it to just jump on the couch and like run through the, the fields and like like as I say I do laughter yoga and see the amount of adults that you can see them and I, I always start by saying um do you know what guys and I've done it in so many corporate environments that I'm like right if you take yourself seriously and you have a huge ego you're really going to struggle with this mm-hmm. and you see all the guys who take themselves seriously and have a huge ego that go Oh, that's not me. I've not got a big ego. Um, so, so they're they're hypnotised right away because of I've, I've, I've tapped into their unconscious minds because they don't. We none of us really believe we have a big ego. Or we have. We just believe we're surviving. We just believe we're trying to get by. We just believe we're trying to do the best with the skills that we have. And I don't believe anybody seriously has. Like, I mean, there there, there is people out there, obviously, but I think your general Joe blogs running the most kind of guy doesn't doesn't have bad intent they just want to keep themselves safe mm-hmm. they just want to make sure that they're able to survive and that's the thing we didn't become the top of the food chain by no using cracking survival skills do you know it's survival of the fittest and that's as humans that's what we do we're constantly just looking to survive and um just to deal with whatever it is that's in front of us at that moment in time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely and I, I suppose one thing we've kind of asked in the past is I think coming out of lockdown and um, mental health is going to probably be at an all-time high at the moment. Is there any kind of like advice you would give to anybody, like to any of the listeners at home, or any tips for kind of coping strategies and for kind of coming out a period where people have maybe been isolated for weeks on end, or they're feeling a bit anxious or worried about kind of stepping back out into the outside world again? Aye. Uh, as again, again, I do a thing called the havening technique and it is an absolutely amazing um, approach. And like, as I say, I, I use, I've used hypnosis, I've used all these different things, but I got introduced to this technique about four years ago. Mm-hmm. And what it does is it starts to change the biorhythms of the brain. So it takes the brain into what's called um, delta wave and it's associated with deep and restful sleep. And all you have to do is cross your arms in front of you, rub yourself from the shoulders to the elbows and just rub yourself down the way and get or get both your hands and rub both your hands from the from the palms 
to the left or to the right, so your hands are rubbing right across each other. What happens there is on your fingers, on the top, the middle and the bottom of every finger is an acupressure point. So when you rub two hands together, you're instantly activating 32 acupressure points because you have one in the middle of your hand as well. When you rub the outsides of the arms, you know yourself, if somebody's upset, you'll go over to them and you'll go, it's all right. And we'll automatically go to touch them on the side of the arm and give mm -hmm. them a wee rub. And what that does again is it brings the mind into that calmer state. There's a huge neuroscience behind this approach. But if you feel anxious or if you're thinking, oh no, I need to go to the shop and but I, I, I need to wear a mask or I need to, or oh, God, I need to go back to work and I'm not ready to go back to work. Use the two words that I mentioned earlier, what if? So if you're anxious, like, I am anxious, what if I am calm? I am anxious, what if I am calm? The mind can't hold two opposing thoughts at the same time. Mm -hmm. So the mind will go, what you're, What would you mean you're anxious? What if you were calm? Well, you, you're anxious, what if you're calm? Well, if you were calm, you wouldn't be anxious. If you were calm, you wouldn't be... Because the unconscious mind works well with what if. Mm -hmm. but in, a, a, per, a, a permanent statement, I am, the unconscious mind goes, oh, well... There we go. Happy days. I'll go off and do something else. So doing that opposing thing or even just as you're rubbing your arms and your hands, just thinking yourself, right, let me imagine I walked out of here. Let me imagine I was walking out here and as I opened the gate, the first thing I noticed was there's daisies in the grass on, at the front of the house. What if I was to walk down the street and what if I was to walk down the street and I was just to notice the smell in the air of people cutting their grass? What if I was to notice the person over the road for me who's standing in their garden with a smile on their face. Imagine if I was to, so just creating that, what would be, because we have an awful habit and like Northern Ireland, very like Scotland. And I think that's why I like it over here. It's just like, it's just like being at home. Mm -hmm. um, very same sort of, um, very same uh, humour and stuff like that. And, but by God, we like to look at the worst of things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. How are you the day? Oh, no bad. Um, and somebody will say to you something and you'll, they'll say, oh, go for it. What's the worst that could happen? And you're like, oh, shit, I never actually thought of the worst that could happen. Mm -hmm. But thinking to yourself, what's the best that could happen? Because I always have this thing in my head where I have a set of scales. And as soon as because, you know, a lot of people that say, oh, just, you know, say positive affirmations or um, just always like, you know, think positive and meditate and do other stuff. See if you've got a mind that's no wired for that. It's really difficult to do. Um, but see if you kind of sit and think, right, hang on, because my negative internal critic, she still comes in and gives me a hard time sometimes. But I now kind of have that conversation where and I'm like, right, what version of me are you? And what is it you're trying to prevent from happening? Mm -hmm. And what do you think is the worst thing that could happen? And then I go right down the very worst thing that could happen. And then I bring it back and I think, right, set of scales. So if that's the worst thing that could happen and the scales tip this way, what's the best thing that could happen? Mm -hmm. And the best thing that could happen, oh, God, I've got visions in my head and we have in this mansion on a hill. I've got visions in my head, eh, like everybody being totally happy and everybody hugging hands and skipping down the street saying morning to everybody as they're passing. <laughs> I have visions of everybody singing a song and everybody, can't, like, so, and then I'm kind of like, well, do you know what? That's not going to happen really, is it? But neither's the worst thing. So it's yeah. finding that if we can, what tends to happen is, we can have a rational mind or we can have an emotional mind and see if you can get the, ration, the rational and the emotional, you create this really beautiful place called the wise mind. And that's the place where you've got your resilience. That's the place where you can kind of go, do you know what, what's the chances of this happening? Or you can go, right, do you know what, I don't like how this sounds. So tell me, how does it look? Mm -hmm. What are the things I can see? So, but I mean, the haven technique, as I say, even just rubbing the arms and the hands and thinking, what if, 
and then whatever the opposite what if I could feel whatever is the opposite of how you feel right now another wee hack another wee hack which is brilliant is if you feel anxious get cold water and stick cold water under your tongue and think five four three two one think of five things you can see four things you can hear three things you can feel two things you can smell one thing you can taste so going through your five senses Cold water under your tongue will activate your parasympathetic nerve system. Going through the 54321 will create distractions, so it just totally takes you to a different place. Brilliant. Yeah. I'm away to do it. <laughs> <laughs> couple of wee hacks for you. I, I, I'm going to go downstairs and my wife's going to be saying, what are you doing rubbing my arms and having some water under you? I know, it's, it's I know. Do you know, what? Do you know what, Michael? Try it, with, try it with the kids, or even try it with your wife. Just say to just say, do you know what? Do you go and do, go and do me a favour. Just try this thing. Go and, do, go and just close your eyes for me. And then just start rubbing her arms. And then say, give me your hands. And rub your hands off her hands. And just say, remember that time? And take her back to, like, I don't know, maybe a holiday where you had a beautiful villa or there was a really nice beach or you had an amazing meal or it was your wedding night and it was the wedding dance or blah, blah, blah. And just get her to do that. Honestly, within a few minutes, you really do feel the difference of it. It's amazing. Yeah, sounds fantastic, Vivian. Really Thank does. you for mm -hmm. that. <laughs> and I've got wee videos. I've got wee videos and stuff on my website that you can like. Get, so it's me sort of teaching you how to do it. But I don't like I. Um, Paul McKenna is a great advocate for us um, for Havening. So it's two doctors that um, from New York that invented it, and because it works with brainwave states and. When we're in trauma, our brainwave state is called gamma. And it's where we're taking in so much information and trying to process it. Mm -hmm. And when we're in delta, that's in our deep restful sleep state. And flotation takes the mind into theta. So I work a lot with brainwave states. So getting haven in and understanding it and then becoming a practitioner and then becoming a, a training facilitator for it mm -hmm. um, really is, um, you know, one, I think once, you, once I kind of got my head around Right, so once you do that and move to there, and the thing is, regardless at the end of the day, how good a therapist anybody is, whether they work with the body or the mind, we're only ever using our knowledge of the human mind and body based on the models, the theories, the practices that we've studied ourselves. Mm -hmm. Everybody's so unique and different. So when I do the one-to-one -one therapy work with people and then put people into a float tank, the float tank, you become your own therapist because you know exactly the journey you've been on. Your mind and body knows your mind and body like nobody else ever will. Mm -hmm. um, and you can just cut the bullshit. Do you know, it's, it's that space that is just like, right, come on, it's me, it's me, I'm you, and let's just sort this shit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> so how can, you mentioned your website there, Vivian, how can people mm -hmm. get in touch with you? Sure. So the website is www.hydro-ease.co.uk. I have just bought the website www.vivianmckinnon.com um, because um, there's, I'm doing a lot more stuff now. So mm -hmm. I keep adding things to the website, but it's starting to get really busy. And, and I think for me, I've always kind of hidden under somebody else's banner. Do you know, I was like, mm -hmm. like when I was in Scotland, I worked for Move On. And I was kind of, so people knew Viv, you know, move on, you know, Viv, move on. And then when yeah. I worked over here, I worked in um, a cert and then I worked in a company called FASA and I was handed a blank job description because what I was doing was so innovative and so different. And I was meeting people where they were at. I wasn't judging people. 
Um, yeah. Well, the one thing we always do is judge, but I wasn't judging them harshly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But then, and then of course I, I set up Hydroes and I kind of, now I'm under the banner of Hydroes. So I'm kind of taking that brave step out where I'm saying, no, do you know what? I'm Vivian McKinnon. Mm-hmm. Hydroes is part of who I am. I'm no party who it is. Mm-hmm. So um, I've bought that website. That should hopefully be live within the next month or something. But we're on all the usual social media platforms. Mm-hmm. So um, we're on we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on YouTube, we're on Instagram, we're on like Google Hydroes, and you'll find us. We're we're, we're everywhere. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, thank you so much for coming on, Vivian. Yeah. No, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. Yeah, that was fantastic, Vivian. Do you know I love Belfast, and now I've got another reason to come along. Come and float. So, uh, that's, that's it. it. <laughs> <laughs> we all float over here. Yeah, we we'll do that before or after a firewalk, Michael. <laughs> Oh. Well, I, I don't know what, what would you suggest. So. <laughs> well, I done a, I done a firewalk. Let me think now. I done a fire. So, as part of obviously challenging myself, I, in two thousand and one, I went out to China and I walked over a hundred miles of the Great Wall and I done so many things out there and I jumped two thousand foot off a mountain um, and across like a river and it, it was mad. And then I was like, do you know what? Because I challenged my panic when I was out there. Mm-hmm. Every morning I got up about half an hour, an hour before everybody else and looked in the mirror and said, right, panic, you cannot embarrass me in front of these people. I've never met any of them before. I mean, I went away myself. There was 52 of us and I had never met anybody there that was that was there. And it was just a whole, right, I'm going to challenge myself for this. So I then came back and I was kind of going, do you know what? This means I control panic. It doesn't control me. Mm-hmm. This is amazing. Yep. And then, so from there, I then went, do you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to chuck myself at an aeroplane. So I jumped to an aeroplane. I'm going to abseil off the fourth rail bridge. So I've done that. I'm going to do a firewalk. So I've done that. I'm going to, uh, my latest one was just a couple of years ago where I bent a metal bar in my throat. Um, mm-hmm. So that was, that was quite a challenge, but um I the firewalk, um when we when I done my firewalk, the guy, the, the coals were still too hot and I ended up with burnt feet. But it was that whole mind over matter. Just mm-hmm. keep going. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. keep going. Possible when you believe. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Vivian, it's been an absolute pleasure hearing you this morning and, and thanks very much for um your time. We really appreciate no, it. No, you're very and, welcome. Um, thanks yeah. for inviting me. So thank you very much.